Gospel Hope. You may be seated. Well, that is a really appropriate song for what we are going to look at this morning from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 and following. Um, at Gospel Hope, we want to be gospel-centered believers. And part of that means that we trust in the power of the gospel, not just to take us to heaven, but also in the here and now, or as we like to say it around here, the gospel's not just the diving board, it's the whole pool. So we want you to go deeper and deeper into the power of Christ as revealed by his death, burial, and resurrection on our behalf. And this morning, we're going to be looking at Ephesians 4, which calls us to, as the series says, walk in a certain way, to live in a certain way as a follower of Jesus. So let's pause, ask for the Lord's help, and then dive into the text this morning. Father, we pause and we ask for your divine assistance in this moment. Lord, we need you. And Lord, we just sang, I surrender all. Lord, let that not just be words up on the screen, but actually the aspiration of our heart. That we would give it all to you. That you would be king. That you would be our guide. That you would be our master and Lord that we would be surrendered to you. Lord, here, here we are. We just submit to you in this moment. We just take a posture of submission to your word. You're about to speak, Lord. So I pray you would give us ears to hear. Lord, hide me behind the cross of Jesus Christ. In his precious name I pray. Amen. You know, when a baby elephant is born at the circus, they kind of do an unusual thing. To restrain the elephant, they, they put a chain or a rope around his leg and then drive a stake into the ground. And for the little elephant, that's sufficient. The elephant pulls at it and tries to get it out of the ground, but it's too strong. But here's what's really interesting. Over time, that elephant grows and its strength increases. But because the elephant, when it was a baby, tries to pull the stake out of the ground, and you know the statement, an elephant never what? Forgets. Some of you forgot that, but yes, an elephant doesn't. Because an elephant never forgets, they don't try to pull it out anymore. And so you can have this full-size, great and powerful elephant restrained to the ground with a little tiny stake. Even though they have the strength to do it, they do not realize the newfound strength that has come to them. Sadly, often followers of Jesus can live like these elephants that is through the work of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit in their life. They have all this strength, but they don't realize it. We fail to realize this. Listen to the statement very carefully. That new life in Christ brings new strength from Christ. New life in Christ brings new strength from Christ. Sometimes we can wrongly assume that our salvation is exclusively about getting to heaven one day. And aren't you grateful that's true? It is about going to heaven one day, but it's about so much more than that. The reality is that the Bible consistently teaches that trusting Christ has profound implications not only one day, but has profound implications today. For instance, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says this. Look at the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a, what's it say? New creation. The old has passed away and see the new has come. Or John chapter 10, verse number 10. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it in, praise God. Trusting Jesus changes our eternal destiny and our present reality. Or here's how I like to say it. The gospel is not just a then and there message. It is a here and now message. The gospel is not just a ticket out of hell card. It is that. But it's way more than that. And if we truncate the gospel to think it only has to do with life one day in heaven, we are like those elephants staked to the ground, not using the power that Christ died to give us. It's that present implication of the work of Jesus that Paul has in mind here in Ephesians chapter 4. Look at verse number 17 at what it says. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. 
Uh, the word Gentiles here in this passage is just referring to those that don't know Jesus. So Paul is essentially calling everybody who is trusted in the finished work of Christ to live in a way that is different than they once did. Don't live like you used to live. Don't live according to your former lay way of life. Christ died and rose again so that you could walk this way in a brand new, uh, brand new manner of Christ. Or to put it very plainly, those who trust in the gospel can be transformed by that same gospel. Those who trust in the gospel can be transformed by that same gospel. So, if you've ever felt stuck and unable to change, anybody ever been there? Stuck and unable to change. If you've ever had a habit in your life, you know those, that you just felt powerless to break. How many of you have ever, ever had something like that? If you've ever had a character flaw, something about you, and you've said, I'm just always going to be this way. Anybody like that? If any of those things apply to you, I've got good news for you from this passage of Scripture that Christ died not just to take you to heaven one day, but to transform you today. Jesus died to make you different, which leads me to my point this morning. It's simply this. We must be transformed by the gospel. That's where we're going. We must be transformed by the gospel. Now, when I say that, at least in my mind, it raises two very significant questions. The first one is this, why? Like, why do we need to be transformed by the gospel? We're going to answer that. And two, how? Maybe even more importantly, how do I live that way? I know that I should be transformed by the gospel, but how did that actually flesh itself out in my life? Or if I could rephrase the statement, it's like, how do I grow? Like a lot of people understand, like to become a Christian, you have to have faith in the gospel. But growing in the gospel, that just seems to be nebulous, ambiguous land for many of us. So we want to answer these questions based on God's word this morning. Why should we be transformed by the gospel? And secondly, how should we be transformed to the gospel? So if you're taking notes, and as I always say, there's special rewards for note takers in heaven. Second Hezekiah 3, look that up. Lives transformed by the gospel. Number one, why should we live transformed? Why? So why do we need to live lives that are transformed by the gospel? The, the first reason that Paul gives us for this is actually a very negative one. Because he describes what life apart from Christ looks like. Look at the text with me, if you would. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Therefore... I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Okay, how do the Gentiles walk? Or how do those apart from Christ live? Look at what it says. In the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They have become calloused and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity and a desire for more and more. I mean, let's listen to that description. That's not rainbows and unicorns. This is dark and bleak. Paul is saying that those apart from Jesus have futile thinking, darkened understanding. They're excluded from the life of God. They have hardened hearts. They have calloused lives and they have insatiable desires. Could the portrait get any bleaker? Together, all of these descriptions are meant to show us the emptiness and the folly of living independently of Jesus. But listen, friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we've all to some degree been there done that, right? We've all tried to figure out life on our own rather than seeking the wisdom that comes from God. And when you do that, you see the folly of that endeavor. We've all have hardened hearts to the clear teaching of God's word. God is calling us to change in some way. Maybe you're reading the Bible or listening to a sermon, reading a book, and God speaks to you in some way and say, no, 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 no. It's too hard. Price is too high. And you resist the Lord, and then you feel the bitterness of going your own way, of hardening your heart against the Lord. We have all chased after our own desires. 
thinking that they would satisfy us. Let me drink my fill of the world. That'll fill me up. That'll give me pleasure. We go after pornography and prestige and position. We chase all these things and we think that will make me happy and they leave us empty in the end. In the words of the great theologian, Dr. Phil. How's that working for you? We've all felt the bitterness, the emptiness, the folly of chasing a life apart from Christ. You go after sin, you do it, and then you feel hollow afterwards. And that's what Paul is admonishing us right now. Don't live that way. You've been there. You've done that. You know it's futile. You know it's folly. You know it's empty. You know hardening your, your heart, it doesn't lead to good places. I recently <laughs> had a had lunch with a, a friend of mine, a pastor friend of mine, and we went to Chewy's. Can I get an amen, please? I mean, do you not know the Tex-Mex paradise that Chewy's is? The land flowing with chips and salsa. If you've never been there, it is a, it is a blessing to the senses. So I go with my pastor friend, and unfortunately, he is one of these people that got covid and it messed up his taste buds. I mean, bad. Like everything he eats tastes like garbage. So we're sitting there at che Chewy's and I'm just enjoying the Lord's bounty of fajitas. And here's my friend. He's got a bowl of lettuce with some cheese sprinkled on the top. I mean, it doesn't even classify as a salad. It's lettuce and cheese. And I'm like feeling sorry for him, as I should. You know, but it, it really illustrates something. You know, in a sense, like, you can eat food and survive, but if it doesn't taste very good, the process is not very enjoyable, right? It's empty. It's like you don't, like my friend, he's lost all this weight. Why? Because food, in one sense, it's pointless. It's purposeless. It's hollow. And in the same way, we have all tasted the emptiness of the world, have we not? It's a bowl of lettuce with some cheese on top. It doesn't really satisfy. It doesn't really satiate. Oh, sure, we can live some sort of life. We can live some sort of external reality where it looks like we're doing okay. Our body hasn't died, and yet we feel empty inside. And Paul is saying, don't go back there. Christ died for you so that you wouldn't live a futile life. And Paul's not the only one who said that, by the way. You know, there's another guy in Scripture that literally had it all. His name's Solomon. And Solomon chased after the desires of the world. He filled his gullet with worldly pleasures. And here's his testimony. I increased my achievements. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted every kind of fruit tree in them. This brother's living in Buckhead. <laughs> I also amassed silver and gold for myself and the treasure of kings and provinces. I gathered male and female singers for myself. I mean, he's in the party scene. I had many concubines. And the delights of men. He tasted all of the worldly pleasures. And I became great and surpassed all that was before me. He's on every board that exists. In Jerusalem, my wisdom also remained with me. All that my eyes desired, I did not deny them. I did not refuse myself any pleasure. He's bawling. And what's he say? And when I considered all that I had accomplished, which was a lot... And all that I had labored to achieve, I found everything to be futile. A pursuit of the wind. What's true when you chase the wind? You never catch it. There is nothing to be gained under the sun. To put it simply, listen to me very carefully, church. The world can only fill us with emptiness. It's all it's got. It's got a whole lot of it. It can give you a truckload of emptiness, but in the end, all the world can give you is empty. Young person, don't squander your life chasing the wind. 
It's folly. It's futile. But after this very grim pronouncement, hey, you should live transformed by Christ because all of that's empty. Paul gives us a great word of hope. I love how he says it here. Look at verse number 20. But that is not how you learned Christ. In other words, when you trusted in the gospel, if you turned away from your sins and put your hope in the finished work of Christ, you knew that he was the real deal. You knew that something authentic was happening. Not something empty, not something hollow. When you learn Christ, it's not a chasing of the wind. It's a marrying of your bridegroom. You have been given the substance and the reality in Jesus. No doubt, we could go around this room and hear testimony after testimony of how Jesus rescued you from folly. Right? I mean, some of you were, were trying to desperately make God love you. You were doing all the things. And then one day you met Jesus Christ and he wrecked your self-righteousness. And he became sweet to you. And delivered you from the folly of trusting in your own works. Oh, some of you were out there. You could have been on Wild and Out. You were chasing the winds and hurricanes. You were chasing them all. And you found that it was empty. And then you met Christ and you're like, this isn't the wind. This is the real thing. And Jesus delivered you from the folly of worldly pleasure. Some of you were good people, good church going people. Good Sunday school attending, mother loving people. And then you met Jesus. And you found that all your goodness really wasn't goodness, it was badness. And Jesus wrecked you. And he showed you the folly, the foolishness, the futility of saying, I'm good enough without Christ. And now you know that without Jesus, you are nothing. And it is sweet to you. The idea is this. Jesus frees us from futility. You want to live a meaningful life? Stop chasing the wind. Chase after the Son of God. And in our bones, in our bones, we know that to be true. If you've trusted in Jesus, you know it to be true that he is real and powerful and mighty and transformative. He is something that can change your life. I remember the, the day that my son, my oldest son Ian was born. He's 19 now. And uh, I remember, you know, holding this little life in my hand. Well, screaming little person. And I didn't understand the implications of everything that was going on at that minute. But I held my son and said, this is significant. This is going to alter the trajectory of my life. In one sense, everything about me is now different because I am responsible for this little human being that God has placed in my hand. I don't understand everything that it means, but I know it means something. You may not know everything that it means to trust in Christ. When you first came to know him, you may not understand the implications, but I am telling you this, something of eternal significance happened to you on that day. When you came to know Christ, the whole trajectory of your life was transformed. He is now present with you. Remember, new life in Christ brings new power from Christ. Christ came, look, to change your destiny. Amen. And your character. Christ came to change where you're going and who you are. We need not just a ticket to heaven. We need a renovation of our hearts. And that is why Jesus came. Why do you need to be transformed? Because he's the only one strong enough to transform us. You know the old way of life is folly. And the new way of life in Christ brings joy and reality. Trust in the work of Christ. That's why we need to be transformed. Second thing. How do you do it? So you hear all this and you're like, yes, yeah, yeah. 
I need to be transformed. Awesome. No clue how to do it. So let's look at the text. Knowing that we should be transformed is not the same thing as actually being transformed. Uh, my uh, first car, proud to admit, it was a Plymouth Duster. Paid $200 for that bad boy. It's worth every penny. And it was a stick shift. How many of you know how to drive a stick shift? Yeah, okay. You know, a manual transmission or a stick shift, um, you have to know how to engage the clutch. You know, you push in the clutch and engage the car into gear so that it can do you a lot of good. Because you can have a super powerful engine and mash that thing down to the floor. But if you don't know how to put it in gear, guess what that power does you? Absolutely no good. You can have a giant engine. Or like in my Plymouth Duster, you can mash that thing to the floor and it would go, mm, slightly more than a lawnmower, slightly more. <laughs> and all that massive power was inaccessible to me until I knew how to put it into gear. Look, you have massive power if you've trusted in Christ. Massive power. No duster. But if you don't know how to engage the clutch, if you don't know how to put it in gear, that power does you no good. So folks, let's put it in gear today. You want to actually be transformed? If you want to live a transformed life, take advantage of all that blood-bought power that Christ gives to his people, we must put it in gear. So Ryan, how do you do it? Three steps that this path clearly outlines so that we can live a transformed life. Step number one, take off your former way of life. Look at verse number 22. Take off your former way of life and the old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires. Huh. Paul is using the analogy of changing clothes to describe how we pursue transformation. In essence, he is saying when you become a follower of Jesus, there are certain behaviors and thought processes and values that you must take off because they belong to your former way of life. They represent, those old values and behaviors and patterns represent who you were, not who you are. Let me illustrate. Um, one of my first jobs was um, cleaning dog kennels. Awesome, awesome. Um, I don't even like dogs, and that was one of my first jobs. But man... I was, uh, I was rolling in the dough because I was like 15 years old and making, you ready folks, $5 an hour. That was like a quarter more than minimum wage. I was killing it. So I would go in the morning um, for about four hours, Monday through Friday in the summers, and I would go clean these dog cages. And as you can imagine, I would come home and I would smell terrible, just awful. So I would get to the back porch of our house and my mom so graciously would say, uh, 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 uh. you're not coming in here, boy. <laughs> um, and so I say, okay. And she's be like, um, you're going to need to leave those clothes outside. So I don't know how our neighbors felt about it, but I was not allowed to come inside with my dog cleaning clothes in the house. So I would take them off on the back porch and like, you know, hustle in and hang those clothes up. And, and in a sense, it was as my mom was saying, hey, you are not the dog cleaner right now. You're not the kennel cleaner. That is who you were over at your job. So you need to take off those clothes because you now are coming into the house. You're a member of the family. You need to take off those clothes because they belong to your former way of life, as it were. And now you are entering a new sphere of life. So those clothes, they don't belong. They stink. Keep them out of this place. This is not the place they belong. You are not that person here. You are someone else. You are something new. And that essentially is what Paul is saying. We need to take off the patterns and the behaviors and the values and the thought processes of what we used to be because now we are in Christ. Church, Christians, listen to this very carefully. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are not who you were. That's not who you are anymore. 
You are not who you were, so take off those old smelly garments. That is not how you live anymore. They don't fit you anymore. You've been brought into the family. And what that means is that certain things that were part of your former way of life have no place in your current way of life. Let me speak pastorally for a moment. I have a concern that today many people in the church at large and even in our church in particular have the notion that Christians are just like everyone else except for they don't go to hell. Brothers and sisters, that's not true. It's as if the only thing that a relationship with Jesus impacts about us is where we spend individual eternity. But this is not a biblical idea. I don't mean to be simplistic, but maybe a simple statement is the best way to put it. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Repentance and brokenness are biblical ideas. I know they're not culturally popular right now. I know the idea of like turning away from your, what you want to do is not popular. I know feeling a deep sense of sorrow over offending God is not popular, but it is biblical. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, you need to be a frequent and excellent repenter. You are consistently turning away from habits. You are turning away from attitudes. You are turning away from values that are not in keeping with Jesus and his word. Some of us haven't repented for years. Some of us have not been broken over an area of sin in our lives ever. And let me say this very kindly. That's not Christian. There is a profound difference between Christians and non-Christians. And it's not just where they will spend eternity. It's their whole value system that is shaped by the life of Christ that is present in them. We just don't need to go a different place. We need to be different people. Because new life in Christ brings new power from Christ. A new life source. We need to be broken over our sin and repent of our sins. Can I kindly ask you a question? Are you entertaining or even embracing behaviors and attitudes that clearly belong to your former way of life? Are you regularly and intentionally taking off old habits and ungodly desires? Listen, are you changing? L let me say this to some of the folks. L let me speak to the whole continuum right now. More seasoned believer, if you've been walking with the Lord for a long time, can I say something? If you're the same that you were 10 years ago, that's a problem. If you're the same that you were five years ago, that's a problem. Dare I say, if you're the same that you are one year ago, that's a problem. Part of the Christian life is consistently repenting and being broken before the Lord. Does this prayer sound familiar to me, to you? Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and test my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. If that's not part of your heart posture, friends, I'm not sure you're following the Savior. I don't mean you've never trusted in the gospel, but the gospel's not just a then and there message. It's a here and now message. New believer, somebody you've, you've not been walking with the Lord for a very long time, you can't have Disney Christianity be true to your heart. You must be true to the Savior, which means there will be things in your life as you are exposed to the Scripture 
as you are around the people of God, that God, the Holy Spirit, will confront in you. And your responsibility as a child of the king is to do this. You ready? This is what repentance means. To turn. God, I confess and I repent of what I've done. This needs to be a regular part of our life. Christians must learn to be consistent, consistent repenters in their life. Or I could say it very plainly, transformation, if you want to be transformed, requires turning. You won't be changed. You will not be changed if you do not turn away from the old way of life. So here's what I want to do right now. Maybe the Lord is speaking to you in this moment right now about a habit, a thought process, a value system. that The Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. Will you talk to God about that in this moment right now and just say, Lord, I confess. I confess. And we're going to play some music. I want you to quietly, if you want to out loud, pray to the Lord and talk to him. Let's confess our need for the Lord. Lord, I confess. Lean into this, church. Lean into this right now. Confession means you say the same thing about your sin that God says about it. Call not foul sins fair names. mark our transgressions who would stand but with you there is favor there is forgiveness there is compassion so we bring our sins to you you have promised that if we confess our sins you are faithful you are just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness so we confess in the name of Christ we pray Amen. So the first way we pursue transformation is to take off the former way of life. Second step that Paul outlines here is to renew your mind. The question Paul is addressing here is, man, if you start to take off these former clothes, how do you avoid just putting them back on? Because you're, you're comfortable in them. Like how do you avoid putting on the old stinky boots slipping back on the smelly t-shirt, when you wear them every day, how do you avoid that fate? Well, Paul tells us in verse number 23. Step number two, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. The primary tool that God has given us to renew our minds is what? Do you know? It's the Bible. God has given us the Bible to help us to change the way that we think. Listen to the way that David describes the scripture. I need you to look up at the screen so you can participate with me in this. Ready? The instruction of the Lord is renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are, and altogether, they are more desirable than gold. They are, than abundance of pure gold and than honey dripping from the honeycomb. That is a precious gift. The truth, 
The truth of God's word transforms us. It is precious. It is radiant. It is powerful. It is pure. It is righteous. Sometimes we can think that our transformation, we just need to change what we do. And yes, we need to change what we do, but even more so, we need to change what we want. And what the word of God begins to do is it changes our affections. We start to see the scriptures as sweet, as precious, as their precepts as wise and beautiful and lovely. We must saturate ourselves in the word of God if we are to be transformed by Christ. So we must all ask ourselves, am I being renewed by God's word? That's a serious question. Can I let you in on a little secret? It's revolutionary. I know, I know. I am probably the greatest preacher in the world. I know, I know. But if you are relying on Pastor Rod and I for one hour a week to be your spiritual diet, you are not going to be healthy. Look, just as you wouldn't eat like one feast a week, you know, Sundays, I'm going to go to the Golden Corral. God bless you, by the way, if you do that. I'm going to go to the Golden Corral and fill my stomach every Sunday, and then I'll wait to next week to eat again. You might survive. You might be able to live, but would you be thriving? Yeah or nay? No. You wouldn't be thriving. Because you are not eating consistently. You are not feeding yourself consistently. You are not hearing what you need consistently. And in the same way, if this is the extent of your spiritual diet, what we're having here in this 40-minute sermon, you are going to be a starving Christian. You won't be experiencing the powerful transformation of the Holy Spirit in your life. And friends... American Christians, there is no reason for you not to get the word of God into your life. It is everywhere. There are hundreds of translations. You can get it audio. You can get it digital. You can get it paperback. You can get the word in any format you want. We do not have a famine of the word. We have a famine of eating the word. Brothers and sisters, the only way you're going to be renewed, the only way you're going to be transformed is if consistently you are renewing your mind through the Bible. Listen, the old saying is this, this book is so true. The book will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the book. Let gospel hope be people of the book. For the word of God is not simply a manual for behavior. It is, listen, it is the word of God. Our Lord is a talking God. And we are foolish if we close our Bibles and we say, oh, Lord, speak to me. He's like, son, daughter, I already have. Open up the word. Be a word-saturated, transforming Christian. You know why? Because the word, the word is the sword that has the power to cleave our very souls. It is a hammer that can break the hardest areas of our hearts. It is a fire which purifies us with the intensity of its heat. It is a light that exposes the most hidden and darkest recesses of our heart and can guide our every step. Friends, get your word open. You want to experience power in your life? You want to get unstuck? You want to break the cycle of pornography or anger or anxiety? Where is your Bible? Because that is your first and foremost weapon. Be such a word-saturated person. Listen. Be such a word-saturated person that the cravings of the world don't have any room to get in there. You're just so soaked and satisfied with who God is as revealed in his word that the temptations of life have such a low pull on your heart. One Puritan said it this way. The way we fight sin is the expulsive power of a new affection. 
What does that mean? We love Jesus so much that we can't, we don't have space to love the world. Let's renew our minds. Step number three. Put on the new self. Look at verse 24. Put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and purity of truth. God's view of transformation is not simply casting off our old life, but also putting on Christ-like character. You know, thankfully, uh, at my job at the kennel cleaner, mom didn't say, take off those old clothes and then invite me into the house and I walk around naked for the rest of the day. No, you put off and then you need to put on. So instead of simply lamenting and confessing your anger and impatience, you actually need to learn to become more kind and compassionate. Instead of simply confessing our selfishness, we need to start serving others. Instead of simply complaining and confessing our complaints and discontent, we need to be thankful and filled with joy. We need to put off those old habits and put on the new habits. So how do you do that? How do you begin to put on these Christ-like characters in our lives? Let me give you an illustration. How many of you uh, old heads out here, this is probably not going to apply to the youngsters, but how many of you oldsters have ever put on a tuxedo before? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I like the way they do weddings today so much better because they just have them go buy a suit. That's better. Because this tuxedo, it's an abomination before the Lord. I, I just... I mean, it's got pieces and buttons and fabrics and things that I do not know what they are. But if you're asked to be in a wedding back in the day, you had to go rent the tux. And then on the day of the wedding, you would get this thing, and it was like, it was like a trigonometry final, like trying to put this thing on. I don't know what this piece is. What? I can't spell cummerbund. Well, I won't wear it. Buttons and... Wait, my shirt, it doesn't have any buttons on it. What am I supposed to do with this thing? And why are there ruffles on me? That was the biggest question. But you're in the wedding, so you're committed, right? You stick with it, and finally you get this godforsaken thing on. And what fabric do they make those things out of, by the way? This is just a tirade. I'm, I'm upset right now. You get it on, and you go up there, and you stand up there, and then you get invited to another wedding. And guess what? You do it again. And this time you're a little bit better about it. And then you're the keynote speaker at the Atlanta Gala for super cool people. And so you purchase the tuxedo and it's in your closet and then you start to put it on and you're like, oh, this is easy. I know how to do it now. Why? Commitment and persistence. Why do we think the fruits of the spirit operate any differently? Why, why do we think that all of a sudden, well, I'm angry and I need to be patient. Okay, I'm patient now. Why do we think that's the way it is? It's not. God doesn't have a magic wand. The metaphor of scripture is we are to walk this way. And what does walking include? Putting one step in front of the other. Putting one foot in front of the other. You just have to keep doing it. Keep pressing on until that garment actually becomes comfortable on you. You actually begin to wear the character of Christ and you're like, oh, I know how to put on this jacket. I know how to be kind. Oh, these shiny shoes. I know how to be gracious. I know how to be forgiving. I know, that I know how to serve others rather than serving myself. We've got to stay with it as the character of Christ is formed more and more and more in us. We need to be transformed by the word of God. Here's what the Bible says. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Here's what it says. We are being transformed, there's the word, into, into the same image. That's the image of Christ. So we are increasingly putting on the character of Christ in our life. And then notice what it says. From the same image, from glory to glory. That is a super significant phrase. What does it mean? It is a process. You do not just transform in a moment. Don't expect to walk out of this church now and all of a sudden, oh, you look just like, Je you came in here a wretch, you walk out here like Jesus. I wish. But that's not how it works. The Christian life is a process, or to put it very plainly, growth is a process, not an event. Stop making growth an event, church. Be committed to grow. 
be committed to change. And in one year, you'll be different. And in two years, you'll be different. And in three years, you'll be different. Just have a commitment not to hit the tape right now, but to consistently be growing in your relationship with God. Gospel-centered believers are increasingly transformed by the work of Christ in their life. So you might hear all this and say, Ryan, I want to change. I want to be transformed. I hear you. Here's the steps. But how, how can I do it? I'm not sure that I can. Well, here's the encouragement from God's word. Look back at verse number 24. And to put on the new self, comma. Look, look carefully at the text. That new self that Christ gave you, it is the one created according to God's likeness in righteousness and in purity. This is the gospel right here. This is the gospel. Here's what's happening. When Christ saved you, he made you new. Do you see it? Put on the new self, you know, the one that Christ created to look like him in your life. If you have trusted in Jesus, you're not the same person you used to be. You now bear the image, the stamp, the mark of Jesus Christ himself. Or if I could put it very simply, when Christ rescues, he recreates. When Christ rescues, he recreates. I am not who I was. You are not who you were. If you have believed the gospel, there is a new energy, a new power that is at work in you. In the great words of Rocky Balboa, you can change. We can all change. And it's not because of some sentimental thinking. It's because Christ died, Christ rose again, and he put his life in you and said, now take that flesh. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So let's be people that destroy pornography. Let's be people that don't live with this cloud of fear and discontent and complaint over our head. Let's be people that don't live gripped by anger and frustration. Let's be people who have been made new by the work of Christ. Friends, you were literally made for this. You have been created, created in the image of Christ himself. You can get unstuck. You can resist temptation. You can live transformed. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. Here's what I want to do right now. I want you to have a conversation with some folks around you. I want you to talk about this. And here's the idea I want you to talk about. I want you to start the conversation like this. I need the Lord too. Maybe you need to say, I need the Lord to forgive me. Maybe you say, I need, to, I need the Lord to give me a, a hunger for his word. Maybe say, I need the Lord to make me more patient. I don't know what it is in your life, but I want you to talk with two or three people around you. I need the Lord too. And then here's what I want you to do. Pray for one another. Right here, right now, begin to pray for one another that we would live transformed life. We would put off who we used to be. We would renew our minds by the power of the words, and we would put on Christ-like character in our lives. Take a moment, share, and minister to one another in that way. Lord, I need the Lord too. Go ahead and share with people around you. Just share quickly and then get to praying for one another. Share quickly and get to praying for one another.
let's pray as if God hears our prayers. Let's pray, church. Pray for one another. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the work of Jesus. That if anyone is in Christ, the old has gone and the new has come. Lord, we thank you that by the power of the Spirit, we can be different. And Lord, we need you right now. We need you desperately. We need you to be transformed. We need you to repent. We need you to help us to even want you. Oh God, we thank you that you died on the cross and rose again to put in us the very life of Christ. So Father, right now we exalt you. We give you glory. We give you honor that we are not who we once were. We lift up the name of Jesus the one who came and conquered our sin and set us free, the one who rescued us from an empty and meaningless life to live a life of joy and fullness and Christ-likeness. And so, Lord, we, we worship you. We praise you. We give you honor and glory and exalt your great name. Receive our praise right now. In the matchless name of our Savior, we pray. Amen. Let's stand on our feet and worship our King.